0: If you have your Bibles and you want to look with me uh, this morning, we'll be in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, and uh, before we look at that, I just um, uh, want to say uh, to the church, um, thank you for um, allowing me to, to fill in the past few weeks. Um, it's, uh, I, uh, um, I mean, I get it, I'm, I'm just a football coach, but uh, I, I do enjoy um, um, preaching God's word uh, anytime I get the opportunity, but it's been especially nice to do so here at home, and so I, I do appreciate your, your graciousness and your, your patience. Uh, it's been a, been a fun summer for us. Nehemiah chapter 8, and let's start in verse 8. Scripture says, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. I think it's such an, an important uh, place for us to pause for just a second because um, it just emphasizes what we've, what we've always said and what we've always believed about uh, our obligation as a body of believers to rightly divide the word and to lean on the word in and of itself uh, as our foundation and i think uh, nehemiah makes that clear uh, as he begins this in verse eight verse nine says then nehemiah the governor ezra the priest and the teacher of the law and the levites who were instructing the people said to them all this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah is such an interesting character such an interesting person, uh, and the, the uh, assignment that God gave him uh, is just really mind-boggling. If, if you ever have the chance to do a, an in-depth Bible study on this particular book and this particular story, I think you'll find it fascinating. I really do. He was a cupbearer to the king who God tells after the Babylonian captivity of the Hebrew nation, uh, hey, you're the guy that's going to go back and you're going to build the wall around the city again so that it's fortified and it's um, uh, safe for your people to live in. He has to get permission from his boss to go. and um, He's got a short window of time uh, in which to do this. And if that weren't enough, he's got all these people all these different families within the 12 tribes of the Jewish culture that he's got to coordinate. And, and, he, and he does he, he's really smart. You can tell he's got kind of an engineering brain to him just a little bit and, and he puts people together uh, based on where they'll actually live and where their families will actually live. And, and he makes them responsible for that part of the entire wall, knowing that, hey, you know, our tendency is to take care of that which is our own. And so, you know, you just see a great deal of, of uh, thought uh, in this, this huge task, okay, and keep in mind when this was, okay. Um, there's, there are no power tools, um, but there, there are no um, big machines and trucks and things like that. This is, this is hard manual labor that he's having to get all of these people to coordinate. I, I think Nehemiah may have been the first guy to ever use the phrase like herding cats, you know, because he just had such a big task in front of him. And the, the verse that we are familiar with there in verse 10, um, I, I think it's not only for our benefit, but I think it's a revelation for Nehemiah himself Uh, They're spending time, they're reading the scriptures, Ezra was the chief priest, and um, many of the scriptures, frankly, were not real pleasant. Uh, You know, they're talking about the law and all the conditions of the law and all the ramifications of not keeping the law, Um, not not your warm, touchy-feely stuff. And people are mourning and people are are weeping and, and people are tired. Let's just be honest, people are irritable, all right? And Nehemiah comes to this conclusion that I think is, has resonated from that point forward. And, and it's like the light bulb goes off and, and, and he says to himself, in all of my planning, in all of my preparation, in all of my coordination, and my, my architecture, and my engineering, and, and all the things that I've done, it comes down to one thing. All those things are good and they all have a place. But the joy of the Lord is where my, I find my strength. All of those things would not matter. But the joy of the Lord is where I find my strength. And I, I want us to look at, those, at two of those, those words. I want us to look at, at strength this morning and I want us to look at joy uh, for just a minute. Uh, you know, strength is a desirable asset. It really, really is. Strength is a good thing. Um, we want to we live in a position of strength. Uh, we want to um, act from a position of strength and not a position of weakness. Um, it's, it's not advisable at all um, to make big decisions. When we're in a position of weakness, when we're fatigued, when we're ill, uh, when we're anxious, when we're angry, um, those are not good times to make decisions because those are times of of human weakness, and we all experience those. So strength is something to be desired. Nehemiah understood this. We need strength to accomplish this task. It's It's a good thing, okay? But I I think we have to really understand just what strength is. And I think sometimes we give it the wrong definition. Um, When we have an opponent that we have to play, um, as soon as we can get our hands on it, we begin to look at film, video of who we're going to play. And that's one of the things that we try to determine first, is where's their strength? Where does their strength lie? That's what we're going to have to focus on if we're going to have a chance to be successful. We, we, we can't spend a lot of time on these other extraneous things that, you know, they may or not hang their hat on. We've got to get down to the really core of what they do well and understand where they're strong and try to have some way to combat that. But I have learned something over the years in that process that sometimes strength is camouflaged. Sometimes strength is hidden. You, you see a score of a ball game and it may a real high scoring game you read the statistics and there were a lot of passes thrown and you say, well this is a, is a passing team. That's their strength. They've got a really good passing game, but you study the film? and You go, no, that's not it. They're really, really good at running the football. That's where they're strong. And so people try to combat that and they put extra people up there to defend that and all of a sudden the passing game just becomes wide open they're not really good at it at all they just take advantage of it when it when it becomes available the same thing the same concept i think is true when we talk about strength in our lives and i think what we do sometimes is confuse skill sets for strength we confuse skill for for strength. We were there in worship this morning. I was sitting down there, and I'm watching J-Mike play the drums, and it, that just fascinates me. It fascinates me because I don't have any skill, but it fascinates me to watch a really good drummer because they do different things at the same time. You know, They're, they're the the music is is coordinated. It sounds right, but if you watch their bodies, it's going in about five different directions, you know? This foot, then that foot, then that arm, and you cross this arm, and and I don't get it. I don't get it. I have tried, okay? Trust me, it is not a joyful noise, okay? That's a skill set that he has developed over time, and that's a great great thing. That's, that's, that's just amazing. And, you know, we, we watch them and, and, and all the people that uh, lead our worship team, you know, they use their skills uh, to serve God and to serve the church. And that's just an amazing thing. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. When God presents us an opportunity that requires a skill set, I believe that he is pleased when we go about it to the very best of our abilities. That's not what I'm saying at all. Okay. But the fact that Jermichael can play the drums so well is not his life's strength. And if he ever disassociates or misassociates that, if he ever puts too much in the fact that he's a good musician, okay, he's going to have things out of balance. And that skill set, before we realize it, can actually become a deterrent rather than an asset. I'm not much on note taking, but if you are, you might want to write these things down this morning. Our strength can never be acquired, accumulated, or accomplished. Our strength can never be something that we can acquire, accumulate, Or accomplish and I really think folks that this is what Nehemiah came to when he made this statement. He said I have done so much to make this work and yet when I really look around it's the joy of the Lord that finishes the project. I've done all the preparation, I've honed my skill sets, all of which are good things, all of the things that God um, absolutely um, called him to do, but it was not his strength. And so anytime we misplace the skills that God gives us, the opportunities that God gives us to acquire uh, and to build new skills, anytime we misplace those, and we place our trust in those abilities, we place our confidence in those abilities, then we're setting ourselves up a failure. Our strength can never be anything that we, in and of ourselves, acquire, accumulate, or accomplish. You see, folks do this, sadly, all the time. A little success sometimes is a real dangerous thing. People who become very, very successful at their jobs or in business or whatever the case might be, they begin to, to put all of their confidence in that, in that particular uh, situation. They put their trust, they put their hope in those things which exist in a flawed world. And there is no strength there. There is no strength there. So what is strength? If it's not those things that we work hard to be able to do, if it's not the things that we um, acquire or accumulate over the course of a lifetime, what is real strength? Well, Scripture says that it's strength that is perfect. That's pretty cool. Strength that is perfect. But here's the even more remarkable thing to me. The scripture goes on to say that that strength, and it's talking about God's strength, of course, that strength is made perfect in my weakness. Whoa. You mean the stuff I'm not good at? Absolutely. Absolutely. When we get to the point in our spiritual journey with God that we understand that all of our skills and all of our accomplishments and all of our attributes are absolutely nothing and do nothing for us in the very, very end, and that we are 100% dependent upon Him in every situation, that we are weak to combat the trials of this life and the schemes of the enemy and anything else that may come before us when we really understand just how messed up we are. That's the first step in becoming strong. That's the first step in really experiencing the strength that God wants us to experience. Oh, we see biblical characters over and over and over get called by God to do things and man, they, they pull up their bootstraps and they head out. Yeah, buddy, I'm going to do this. And only when failure comes, only when setback comes, only when heartache comes and they have to cry out to God do we see success. The very first time that um, we went to Moldova uh, over in Eastern Europe on a mission trip. Steve Bishop was here on staff. He was our youth minister. And Steve basically lied to me. Uh, and if you know Steve, you know that's not, that's not a big stretch. But he told me, he said, Cody, we're going to go over there and we're going to do sports camps for these orphan kids. And he said, "It's right up your alley." No, it was not. No. There's no air conditioning. All right. There's they had stuff they called food. It didn't look like food to me. No, nothing there was in my comfort zone, and none of those orphan kids who didn't speak a word of English, by the way, could care less about North American football, okay? That was not on their radar. That was not what it was about, and I get there, and I am totally inadequate to do anything, and it's one of the strongest ten days of my life I ever spent. Because literally, moment by moment, I had to depend upon God. I was a fish out of water and I didn't know anything from one situation to the next. And I had to just let go. And that's when you experience strength. Strength is not a skill set, it's not something that we acquire not something that we accumulate but it's something that is made perfect when we understand the relationship that we're to have between a holy sovereign powerful God and a failed flawed human being. What about joy? What about joy? That's a word I think we, we, we use a lot and maybe don't completely understand also. Let's, let's talk about what joy is not, okay? What joy is not? Joy is not situational. You, you, you know what, what we mean by that. If something's situational, then that means that it's subject to change, right? That if the dynamics of the situation change, if the elements of the situation change, then everything else is subject to change too. Joy is not situational. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy does not present itself based upon other things in my life. If I had this... I would have joy, is a natural reaction. If I had that, if I were there instead of here, if I were here instead of there, my natural tendency to think that equates to joy, that's that's not true at all. And the reason for that is, and don't don't misunderstand, we'll, we'll clarify, but folks, joy, is not happiness. Joy is not a synonym for happy. Now, can joy produce happiness? Absolutely. Absolutely. But let's be honest this morning. There are a lot of folks that have never been inside a building like this and that live their life and they're happy. They really are. You know? Ignorance is bliss. You know, you you can acquire happiness a lot of different ways, okay? But happiness fails those first two um, tests that we talked about. Happiness is circumstantial. If my circumstances that made me happy are gone, then I'm probably not happy. If the situation that made me happy has changed then my level of happiness has probably changed with it. it. It doesn't pass the test. Joy is neither one of those things. Joy is a constant. Joy is a constant, okay? It is not affected by any outside force. Joy Is a relationship with Jesus. Now, I wish I had a much more profound way to say that, but I don't. As simple as that sounds, there's probably nothing more truthful this morning. Joy is a relationship with Jesus. And once we enter into that relationship with Jesus, Scripture tells us that we can't be taken out of that relationship. With him. So, just by uh, simple logic, then we can know this morning that when we're in that relationship, we are to be a people of joy. He said, What are you talking about, Cody? Joy is a relationship with Christ, but joy is also a decision. On our part. Joy is a decision on our part. We decide what kind of life we're going to live with Christ, one way or the other. And by the way, not making a decision is deciding. We decide, am I going to come to the realization that Nehemiah came to and understand that it's the joy that I have in my relationship with Christ, not my wealth, not my position, not my education, um, not my health. And And I get how difficult that is from time to time. But those things are factors of a fallen world that have nothing to do with a holy God and a sacrifice that he made on the cross of Calvary. So I must decide, am I going to be a person of joy or I'm not? It's just that simple. And, and God gives us free will and he lets us do that. He lets us do that. And so you, you take... Kind of like Nehemiah did, you take all of your theology, you take all of your learning and and all of your exploration of scripture and studying different cultures and different people groups and all that kind of stuff, and you come down to one very simple elementary truth, and that is that there are two types of Christians in the world. Oh, we have a lot of names and a lot of labels. We have Protestants and we have Catholics. We have Baptists and we have Methodists and we have non-denominationalists and we have conservatives and we have moderates and we have liberals. That's just stuff we make up. we got two kinds. we got Tiggers and we got Eeyores. This is the truth. We're all saved by the same God. We all have the same blood shed for us. But our decision puts us in one of those two categories. We're either a Tigger or we're an Eeyore. You don't think I'm pretty deep. Now you know. Tiggers walk around. Smiling for no reason wonderful thing about Tiggers is Tiggers are wonderful things. Tops are made of the rubber, bottoms are made of the spring. They bounce and bounce and trounce and bounce, have fun, 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 fun. But the most wonderful thing about Tiggers is I'm the only one. Megan was over here saying the words with me. They're happy being who they were created to be. Eeyores are not. And unfortunately this morning, our churches often are full of those people and we wonder why it's so hard to get others to come inside. You've heard them. Maybe you've been one. Maybe I've been one. I'm a Christian. I've been 40 years. Just waiting on the rapture. Really? Really? Is that the ambassador of Christ that that Paul calls us to be in Corinthians? Who wants to get in that line? Who wants to jump on that boat? When the world is so desperate for hope. And yet we make the choice not to understand that the joy of the Lord is our strength. One other point, and I'll be through this morning. Joy is a relationship, and joy is a decision. Here's one I didn't understand until I was about 35 years old. And that is the joy is also a command. Joy is a command. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 16, and he says this, Be joyful always be joyful always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's perfect will for your life in Christ Jesus man sometimes I just hate what Paul writes why didn't you just say try to be joyful always Think about being joyful. Consider being that He didn't say any of those things. He leaves us no opportunity to misinterpret this. He says, do it. Be joyful always, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for your life. This is the plan. This is what he wants. This is what he wants for you as his individual child, and this is what he wants for us. As the corporate body of believers that have been called to reach this area of the world, we're not going to do it with an Eeyore mentality. We're not going to do it being stuck and consumed by our own circumstances and our own problems. We're only going to do it when we come to the realization that it is the joy of the Lord that truly is our strength. As our music team comes, let's bow. Together. Father, we're so grateful today that you allow us to be in your house, Father, and God, I just, I just acknowledge right off the bat, Lord, that there are many, many times in my life that I fail the commandment that you had Paul issue to us. I choose to dwell on that which is not good rather than all that which is so right, Which is which is you, Lord? God, I I am the chief among sinners. God, I pray for your forgiveness, and I thank you for your patience. You have to remind me to to get my act together. God, I pray as we move forward as a church that we would understand that all the programs in the world and all the buildings that we could build and all the devices that we could come up with, Father, as useful and as helpful as they might be, God, they're going to do absolutely nothing without the Holy Spirit and the leader and the guide in all that we do. God, we can't escape from that. We can't out-educate it. We can't out-work it. We can't out-accumulate it. There's nothing that... Takes the place of the simplicity of the gospel. And there's nothing, Father, that can offer more hope to a lost and dying world than the joy that is Jesus Christ. Help us to proclaim that in all that we do. In your name we pray.